All right. Today we have Ryan Atkins, pro OCR athlete and overall monster. He and Team Canada Adventure had a standout performance during the 2019 Eco Challenge, which is now airing on Amazon Prime. So Ryan comes on to give you an inside perspective of the hardest race in the world. I think that's how they were branding it, but it does look pretty freaking hard. And and he talks about how he prepared physically and mentally for the challenge. So there are spoilers inside. Uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, go ahead and watch that first and then come back and listen to the episode. So we started the first seven or eight minutes just talking about some rapport round questions, who Ryan Atkins would not like to fight in a fist fight in OCR. Spoiler, the answer is uh, no one. He'll fight anybody. Then we do a deep dive into the Eco Challenge. So we talk about some of the unforeseen challenges of the race and how him and his team were able to successfully navigate them. We talk about how to deal with sleep deprivation and nutrition during a 24-plus-hour race and the mindset on how to handle a long and uncomfortable race uh, that Ryan has really excelled at through his uh, impressive OCR career. So just a reminder, if you like what we're doing here, please drop us a rating and review. It helps us get found so we can spread the good word of awesome athletes like Ryan Atkins to the rest of the podcast world. Let's do this. Okay, Ryan Atkins is here. Ryan, what's happening, man? Hey, how's it going? Stoked to be here. Yeah, for sure. I'm really excited to kind of dive into this. I mean, the Eco Challenge has definitely been a topic of conversation. I watched it. I don't typically like binge watch things, but I did find myself doing that for this. But before we really dive in, I have a couple of just like random questions for you. It's called the rapport round. Are you ready for it? Do it. All right, cool. What is your favorite book on training? Oh, I really liked uh, Endure. It's not Mm. like totally on training. It's like it's more like that mind connection to sports performance. But yeah, I really like reading that. Yeah, that's uh, Alex Alex Hutchinson, I think. Yeah. That one was really cool because it kind of takes you through the history of the science that we are like kind of taught, right? Like kind of takes you back how they started to discover everything. Um, Because you kind of hear some like standard practices and principles and this kind of leads you to where it was i i enjoyed that a lot too i'm still kind of making my way through it but endure is definitely a good one (laughs) yeah Um, he's actually canadian he's uh he's from guelph which is like 20 minutes from where we used to live so did he study there like is he work it because that's a a big university up there right yeah yeah i think he studied there and lives there now yeah nice so it's it's a a double win yeah exactly Good info, repping for the country, so that's good. Um, cool. So what's one thing that everyone loves that you hate? Oh, uh, maybe discount codes on Instagram. <laughs> oh, man. I feel like everybody loves them because they're like, oh, sweet. 20% I can use 20% off for uh, lock laces from Robert Killian. That's amazing. <laughs> And I'm just like, barf, barf, like. <laughs> do you, do, are, are you asked to use those? Do they give you codes for your stuff? Or are you just like, I'm not do, I'm not going to put that out there? Yeah, I mean, that's usually my stance. Um, sometimes I'll get people messaging me directly, like, um, and saying like, hey, we really want to get a pair of EJ shoes. Do you have a code? And then I'm like, sure, man, like, no problem. Like, I think it's cool that way. Pass it on, you know, everyone likes discounts. But when like, it's just, like the purpose of the post is just to like jam something down your throat. I really don't like that. But. Cause yeah, like that's how 
I'm not sure how a lot of this works, but like the affiliate, the, how, that's how they know to pay you or you will get paid right. more. So it's obviously a sales post. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of ruins the credibility of the product too. It's like, do you even like this? Yeah. Or yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that's definitely a good one. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. So a couple months back, uh, Aaron Newell came on the podcast and he said that he is a better ice climber than you. So, so my question is, can you beat him in a fist fight? I think I could beat Aaron in a fist fight. Yeah. He's pretty skinny and like, I feel like uh, he's got really good pull strength, but not much push strength. So mm. I think I'd take him down. Also, I used yeah. to wrestle. So if I got him on the ground, he'd be game over. Would that be the go-to? Would you just try to t- just like shoot in, take somebody down, and then... Oh, yeah. Double leg, just slam him down, and then yeah. go to town. Yeah. Sorry, Eric. Is, it, is there anyone in OCR who you would not want to, to fight? Um, I don't know. I don't think so. Take them all on? Yeah, why not? Yeah, just bring it. Especially with the wrestling background, because that is, I don't like. I don't even know what somebody could do. Like, if they don't have any type of <laughs> grappling experience, right? There's yeah. not mu- there's not much they could do for you. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone just starts fist fighting, but really, like fist fighting is not really that useful in like an actual fight because, like, it just like I don't know, it go it gets pretty sideways pretty fast, <laughs> and then you're just like rolling around, tussling, and yeah, right. And you figure the, <laughs> the amount of people who are trained to actually throw a punch, like right. in the world, let alone yeah. in the OCR community, That's pretty small, pretty small. So yeah, you're probably like being able to have any type of martial arts or wrestling background will put you in a good spot. Totally. All right. Bring it on. Um, what is your favorite OCR venue? I think it uh, was probably Sweden in Ode. Um, That's the 24 hour last year. Oh, really? So awesome. I mean, it was like cold and snowy, but then we stayed. There's like a resort at the bottom, uh, like right at the start finish, um, this big inside resort where everyone like stayed in this hotel and there was a sauna world and there was a restaurant there. So like everyone was just kind of like all together. Like you didn't have to drive anywhere. You were all congregated in the same like wicked spot. And then the terrain was amazing. So Hmm. that was pretty, pretty awesome. I wonder if you could do something like how uh, NBA, like basketball, did with a bubble in a, in a place like that and have a competition where people come in and they stay there for like a week and then oh, yeah. just do the race. Because that's what it sounds like. It sounds like everything was like right there for you. Yeah, that's sweet. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that'll be our, yeah, maybe that'll be our next, that, the next race that we run if that yeah. ever happens. We'll just be around a bubble. <laughs> Um, all right, so this, this is the last one. This is sort of sort of all, along the lines of Eco Challenge, but um, so like I had a question about Bear Grills, and okay. like I can't, and I don't know how much interaction you had with them, but my question was like, how much was he there for TV, or how like legit do you think he is? Because I don't know much about him, and all I know from seeing him here, and like, is he a TV person or is he like legit about like this adventure type stuff? racing stuff i think he's kind of a mixture um he's not really an adventure racer i think he's like more of a survivalist or something mm-hmm. i think he used to have a show where he was like just he would just have to like kind of you know live off the land and like hunt, survive with just a knife or something like that i don't know right but whatever there's a show made up of that you always kind of ask about the credibility we got the cameraman eating mcdonald's and he's got this guy like you know, <laughs> starving. Right. You're like, mm, 
eat a fry or not. I don't know. <laughs> but right, yeah, no, like, he was. Uh, I can't... He was a nice guy. I got to like, got to talk to him and stuff, and uh, uh, you know, it's hard to say how much of it is just like the TV personality that he has to portray, or how much of it is like his actual personality. But um, whenever I spoke with him, he was, you know, very, you know, nice. So no complaints but, there. Yeah, because you know, like you said, you know, when the, the television stuff starts to happen, it's like, okay, let's get Bear over here so we can talk. And like, okay, let's move him around so he has to talk to somebody else now. And just like how authentic it actually is. Right. And I, it seemed like it seemed like he was excited, but I couldn't tell if it was just like the clips and the cutting back yeah, and forth. Totally. <laughs> um, could you beat Bear Grylls in a fist fight? I think so. I do. Yeah. You yeah. Size him up street wise. How big is he? Is he yeah. that big? Um, he's about my size, maybe a little smaller. Yeah. All right. But take him he, on too. He wears, he wears some pretty big cargo pants, so it's kind of hard to tell. <laughs> more to grab onto. It's more just yeah, to take. Who knows what's down. in those pockets, you know? Right. It's true. He is a survivalist. <laughs> he's got to be prepared. He's got to be prepared yeah. for some sort of fight. He's probably got like a hundred yards of twine at all times in his pockets, which, you know, who knows what he can do with that. Could, I mean, he has to use it somehow. Could could be to his advantage. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So made it through. So let's kind of dive into some of the goods here. And you got you're a couple, almost like a year removed from Eco Challenge now, right? From the race itself. Yeah. yeah, totally. And so just started airing over Amazon Prime, and I did find it really interesting. I had a ton of questions, and so I do appreciate you taking the time. Have you had a chance to watch it yet? Uh, I've watched a few episodes, not the whole thing. Yeah, it's um I got through I think 8 and then I saw you guys finish and uh so the, we're going to do spoilers here. So if you haven't seen it like watch it <laughs> like so and then come be, back and listen. And then come <laughs> back and listen. Yeah, so if there if you are like with saving and you haven't seen where Team Canada Canada Adventure finished, um you might want to back out. So so the race itself it took 143 hours for you guys, which is over about 5 days. And there's a bunch of different disciplines like there's hiking, rafting, swimming. I was like shocked at how much there actually was. Um, and, you know, really heavy on navigation. So going into it, like, were you worried that you weren't going to know how to do some of the things or were you just confident that you would just figure it out? Yeah, no, I was um, like, they give you kind of like a general idea of what you're going to have to do. Um, like, so we knew there was going to be stand up paddleboarding. We knew we'd have to paddle uh, outrigger canoes and those Kamakau things, the like weird Fijian sailing boat thingies. Um, and then we, we knew there'd be mountain biking and trekking and stuff. So like, you kind of know all the disciplines um, that you're gonna have. So you can like practice them as much or as, or as little as you want. Uh, but um Bob was actually our navigator, so I wasn't in charge of the navigation, and he's been doing adventure racing and navigating for um, for years, and uh, so he was he's pretty tuned in and dialed in on that, and it's nice having like a veteran guy doing that. Um, so yeah, I mean, I wasn't like it is a big the whole event is a big question mark. Like you don't know if you don't know really how it's going to manifest when you're actually out there. Um, so there is a definite element of unknown, but also like it's stuff I do every day. I like I mountain bike and I run like every day and I, I've done a fair bit of paddling and stuff. And 
all over the world and all in all different conditions. So it's kind of like, um, it is things that I'm fairly comfortable and confident with, I guess. Yeah. And that's, I guess because having, uh, such a experienced leader, were you, did you just more or less put your head down and just do the task at hand? Or was there ever times that you had to kind of reach out of that and help Bob with maybe some of the navigation pieces or some of the stuff that you might have not been familiar with? Or were you just more like the muscle on board and like, all right, I'm just going to get through this however I can? Yeah, I mean, a bit of both. Um, I was kind of like the, you know, the grunt, the muscle that I would carry most of it. Um, so there's, there's personal gear and then there's like team mandatory gear. Um, like, for example, one of the team mandatory gear items is a 10 foot by 10 foot waterproof tarp. You have to have that someone on the team has to carry that for the whole race. So like things, items like that I would carry, um, like first aid kit or like, uh, I don't know, things like that. Um, so I, my pack weighed three or four pounds more than everyone else is on the team. Um, so I mean, just carrying that stuff, you'd end up, you know, being a bit more utilized, I guess, in that respect. But as we raced, if, if Bob was unsure about the navigation or if, um, you know, he didn't know what was going on or if I had a suggestion or any of us had a suggestion on how we could like move faster or do something that would make us, you know, better or quicker, uh, we would speak up and we'd talk about it and we'd either, you know, implement it or not. So it's kind of like, it's definitely a very team oriented thing. And, um, and I did help a bit with navigation, and so did uh, the other guy, Scott, and uh, Ray did as well. Um, but you know, definitely the minority. It was mostly Bob doing that kind of stuff. And um, and then yeah, my my like main my main approach to the whole race was like I was just constantly thinking about what can I do in this very moment that'll make our team collectively move faster. And that's hmm. like basically all I thought of like for the entire race. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of like the mindset, I guess. And I feel like that's appropriate in a team setting, right? So you can't have too many people wanting to like question the directions or making the decisions of what to do and how to do it when it's for people like it, it you kind of need to act as a collective whole. It seems, and that's would be the the way that you would work your way through it. The, the easiest, um, was there any, was there, concerns about gelling as a team i mean i know you know Rhea, but this is a completely different like element like was that something that you had concerned about or did anything pop up during the event where you're like oh man i don't know if working with these people for three more days is going to be that great or was it pretty did you guys gel pretty well yeah i mean i know bob pretty well we used to like uh work together and stuff and um spend a lot of time with him so I knew his personality and he's super chill and really kind of easygoing and, um, and then Scott's kind of the same. Uh, we just were all pretty happy people and <laughs> there wasn't much drama or stress. Even when we were like lost or someone had made a massive, um, mistake, like no one ever really got upset at each other. We just kind of, you know, reassessed, did what we couldn't do in a present moment to move forward and got to it. 
Yeah, just like judging from like the other teams that are out there as well, from what I saw on on TV, what they showed, is that that was kind of the attitude for most of the teams. I can't imagine you can go put yourself through what could be an 11-day race for some of these teams and not have some optimistic spirit about you. Like, like I, don't, I, I don't think pessimism is, a, is an attribute that adventure racers should really carry with them. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah, and, and so the team captain, his name's Bob Miller, he seems to be really well-known on the circuit, right? Just like how there's, you know, well-known people in obstacle course racing. He seems to be like one of the, the you know, more or less celebrities in that, that arena. And just like looking at the other teams and the other people around, like no one really seemed to be like that athletic it didn't really seem like um and that's just from what i saw on the screen so i figured i was like oh man like ryan and ray are probably the best athletes out here by a long shot and also probably a bit younger than many of them did you did you think about that or was it just or where was the lack of experience enough to kind of keep you grounded or did you kind of look look around and size people up like i am i'm stronger and faster than all these people like what was your mindset with that yeah it's actually a really kind of unique and interesting sport because um it's more like uh <laughs> i guess like like a hummer would do really well you know and like uh a ferrari would probably not do so well so if you take if you take i don't know like someone who's if you take like someone like i don't know kipchoge or someone can run a two-hour marathon and like probably one of the best athletes of our time and you put him into an adventure race and he would just get absolutely annihilated. Um, but you put some of these athletes who might not look as, you know, as cut or as ripped or as athletic um, as you would like traditionally think, but they're really robust and they're experienced and they're, um, and they can just handle it. And uh, those tend to be the athletes who do really well. So um it's a bit unique in that respect. And I'd say that I'd agree. I think that Ray and I were probably the two of the most, you know, uh, athletic people in the race. Um, and it really showed like when we got to open it up and we got to like actually use our athleticism, like we would just like fly compared to the other teams. Like we probably went up those, uh, balls in half mm-hmm. the time as any of the other teams, like, we went up, we did the the first island trek. We came into that island trek in 17th place and we left the island trek in first place. Like we literally <laughs> did it like 45 minutes faster than New Zealand. Um, but then there's so many times like you're sitting in a boat paddling and unless you're like a really experienced paddler, like you can't use your, like your running ability or your, you know, your engine in those uh in those situations or if you're lost in the middle of the jungle you can't use how fast you are as a runner to your advantage because you're just running in circles so um there's so many more factors at play other than just like all-out athleticism um which i think is kind of what keeps it which what makes it really interesting um to me and uh yeah there's like a lot more a lot more cerebral i guess than just like running a 10k as fast as you can yeah, and you could definitely gather that, and that, and again, having that team and that captain being able to have the thought out plan 
really seem to be the make or breaks like with the the New Zealand team who did have the guy who was super experienced they called him like the Michael Jordan of adventure racing so obviously he's been doing something right for a while was it right. was like when you had these chances to kind of open things up and use your athleticism was like the your your captain Bob did he did he feel like he was driving a Ferrari or did you guys just kind of go on your own or did would he put the pedal down and be like okay like let's go or did it all just or did you guys just look at each other and be like, okay, we feel pretty good. Let's keep pushing. Like, was there yeah. that Was it, yeah. how did that work? It was a bit of both. I mean, Bob and Scott were, are both amazing athletes too, like really strong and they trained like crazy um, for the race. And so uh, when we were given the opportunity to kind of open up and um, make some time and we would kind of say like, like Ray and I would just like start like ramping it up, I guess. And um, if Bob and Scott felt good and they were, you know, we were all moving at the same pace. We would just keep it going. And if it was too much for anybody, they would just say like, okay, we need to take a log off the fire kind of thing. And, uh, cause you also don't want to blow anyone up. I've been, I've actually done an adventure race before where that happened in a bike leg. There was me and another guy who were both, um, expert and elite level cyclists, mountain bikers. And, uh, we were like out riding our navigator. We were literally, riding at such a high speed that he wasn't able to like navigate at the same time because he was working too hard and mm-hmm. we ended up making just hours of mistakes even though we were like cruising along at 30 kilometers an hour <laughs> we ended up losing hours of time because we were making wrong turns because he couldn't like he couldn't handle the pace and the navigation at the same time so that's like it's a hard line to tread i guess and it seems just like a race of of patience. Like there, there really doesn't seem like there is an appropriate time to just gun it or feel like you were in a race. Did like was there a point where it's like okay, now we're here? Was it until like that last final like pa- like weird boating sailing thing that until you guys were like, all right, let's really kind of crank, or or was it just kind of surviving and being patient and hoping you made it? Um. Yeah, it was kind of like. I guess uh, there was a pretty long after we got off the stand up paddle boards the second last time through the like, the reservoir. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like this long jungle trek that we were like um, we started pushing on and kind of go faster. And we were maybe an hour. We were coming down like a, a hill, and we could see New Zealand up ahead of us going up a hill. Like we could see their lights, and it was the middle of the night. And we were like, "Oh, sweet!" Like. So I'm gonna catch some, and then we got lost for like five or six hours in the jungle. Um, so that really kind of was a bit of a downer. Um, and then we were just so tired, we took a 20 minute nap, and then it was like, and then we just kept that. We just, you know, at that point we were like, oh man, we made a huge mistake. Well, now we really need the hammer. So then we just kept the like the pedal down basically to the finish, which was like another, I don't know, 24 plus hours from then. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, kind of like pushing. And then when you think you're like tired and you can't push any harder, then you actually go harder at that point. So it's really, it's really strange. <laughs> and that, that is something that came up consistently throughout the, like whenever they were interviewing some teams, especially in the later stages is talking about like how miserable people were and how much people were and like how much the individual was like suffering. And like, that was a consistent thing that kept coming in when those type of things like come into your brain for like you personally, like 
do you try to block out the misery or how do you handle something like that in, in a race that is, I don't know, even two hours long or 24 hours long or five days long? Is there something that you do in particular that like, that helps you handle that? Um, that's a good question. I don't really, I don't really find it that miserable, so I don't really need to block it out. I just kind of like enjoy it. So I just, <laughs> I guess I just kind of like settle into, um, whatever, you know, discomfort or misery there might be and just kind of, uh, use that to feel myself. Hmm. I don't know if that really makes sense. <laughs> I mean, a, a little bit. I mean, and there's the way I kind of think of it, there is like two different, a couple different pr- approaches. I'm sure it's like, you can just improve your fitness to the point where you don't ever experience a, a level of discomfort that is so much. You just don't ever have to get to that point or you can just kind of feel comfortable in that and just kind of lean into that feeling and just like mm-hmm. accept that it's there. Yeah. Um, so where would you say you fall on that? I mean, cause your fitness obviously, I mean, is very high, but for five days there, there has to be a point where you're just like this, I'm tired. This sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Like honestly in, in the, in the eco challenge race, I don't think I was ever really like miserable per se. I was actually really enjoying it. Um, I, I just had a really fun time. There was one point, actually there was two points in the last two days when I got like really, really, really tired and um, was having a hard time like moving and staying up and like even functioning. Um, but like, it's kind of like, I was just like tired. I wasn't like really miserable. So it's kind of like maybe different. Um, huh. But yeah, I just, it was the whole race was at a pace for me that was sustainable and um, really enjoyable. And we were in just such an amazing country and experiencing all these you know crazy places that i will probably never visit ever again so i was just (laughs) trying to soak it all in Hmm. yeah i guess that is the advantage to having it be in a place that looked so amazing and it sounds like you're able to more or less like separate the feelings right because i'm sure people are out there who are sleep deprived and that makes them miserable like i'm miserable when i have like a bad night of sleep so i'm sure like people are, are are kind of associate that um but in terms of like the physical like there was never a point where physically you were just like in pain or not or just like to the point where it just was uncomfortable all the time right yeah Got no it. not really um i actually kept asking the, the the guy who designed the course uh we would see him at checkpoints and stuff and at transition areas sometimes and he would i kept asking him when to <laughs> kept Asking him, I was like, "Hey, when's it, when's it going to start getting hard?" And he would just <laughs> kind of like <laughs> shake his head, and uh, and we both kind of laugh. Um, but that was kind of like the ongoing joke. Good. He was like, um, like before the race, he was like, "It's going to be so insane, so hard." And then I, I was like, "I'm still waiting for it." I'm like, <laughs> this is easy, man. I mean, I'm tired, or whatever. And I, I, I was reading some articles, just kind of like looking into all of this, and I found one that was on some blog. I think it was called Sleep Monster or something like that. I guess it's an adventure racing blog, and it was about your team, and it was talking about how they that when Bob was kind of telling people who, who was on it, they mentioned that there's two OCR athletes and people were kind of rolling their eyes. They're kind of like, oh, okay, like, well, Bob's team's going to do terrible. Like, they didn't quite 
they they, they said right. they kind of ruled ruled it off, and then there was like a condescending mark in this part. It's like, yeah, well, they just figured there was people struggling for a five k rolling around in the mud. So I'm I'm glad right. you went and fucking brought it to them. Like, watch <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, but but along those lines, I mean, I'm sure there has been like I think that Iron Man team came, and I don't even know if they finished. I, don't, I haven't. They're they're still out there, as far in my mind, as far as I'm concerned, where I am on the TV episode. But I'm sure there's times people come in and just have a, have a, a miserable experience, and just from the personal story from from Bob's team, I think in 2002 had a team that that dropped out um, in in Fiji, and there was some sort of like foot infection that happened. And then, oh, like yeah. later in Riddle. the in like the the I don't know if you saw this one. Like there was a Japanese team at the same exact spot. Uh, they said there's two members on the team that had trench foot, quote unquote. I, don't, I didn't know what that was until I, I looked into it, and it looked incredibly painful. Like these people couldn't stand up. They're like walking on their hands, crawling around to try to get to the helicopter. So was that like? And that's part of the unforeseen thing, which is a really common narrative that's basically sewn throughout the entire show. Is like something crazy might happen and you're not going to know it's unforeseen. So was right. like there, was there anything that like Bob or the other competitors were preparing you and, and Rhea for in terms of that? Like what was the biggest thing you guys were trying to avoid out there? Ooh, um, yeah. I mean, honestly the whole foot thing was a issue because like you said, uh, it took Bob's team out in 2002 or three or whenever they were last in PG. And, um, and so before the race, he was like, you know, we have to watch out for our feet. We have to take measures to keep this from happening. And so, like, we, I found some really good creams and stuff um, to put on our feet. And we would do, uh, every time we came to a, uh, a transition area, we would take um, benzodyne foot baths and dry our feet out. And, like, at the end of the race, our feet were like, you know, it looked like we had all just had pedicures. They looked great. So <laughs> it was, uh, we definitely kind of mitigated that, that factor really well. Um, so yeah, I mean, you can only having, having two, like Scott actually did the equal challenge in Fiji last time it was there too. So having two members of our team who had been to that, you know, location and done the race, um, before was definitely helpful, um, for us. And, um, but other than that, it was just, you know, basics of adventure racing, like pace yourself, try not to hurt yourself, look after each other, um, things like that. Rhea actually fell uh, pretty hard on the, like a kilometer into the first mountain bike leg and had a huge gash in her arm, um, <laughs> which was uh, not funny at the time, but pretty funny in hindsight. I think she was just <laughs> over overexcited and she rode up into the back of my wheel and got taken out. Um <laughs> And yeah, so that was a bummer, but that was kind of like the only, I guess, little kind of brain fart that we had. Um, that was like that. Cause that kept happening to teams too. Like there would be, they would slip on like a rock and, and bash their shin or forearm and a cut would open up and it's like, well, this is going to get infected now. Like we're totally. going to have to drop out of this. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure that, and like, like what would be looked at as like small injuries were um, like, devastating in the long term totally. um, and so with the foot thing is that the most care that you've given your feet like ever like was it did it seem excessive or was it or were they like no this needs to happen or or when you were doing the care to your feet was it like okay i understand why this is important or is it just kind of part of the process yeah i mean it was just part of the process we were like you know this is what we're doing this is the plan and let's just do it <laughs> this is what we came up with and 
it kind of i mean it definitely like ate up some time at, at the uh at the transitions um but it was probably the right call yeah it sounds like and, that, and i'm sure that team that did that like two members because i just thought that was interesting that two members on one team had it and no and it didn't really seem to be an issue for anybody else so mm-hmm. i guess it just does come down to just planning and experience from that end um, totally. and so was this the longest race you've done uh yes yeah longest race what was like that second? Have, have, you, have you done like several day stage races before? Mm, I did a road bike race, uh, the Vuelta Costa Rica, which was like a UCI um, road bike stage race in 2012. And that was 12 days long, actually. Um, but it was only like you'd ride anywhere from like one to seven hours a day. So, mm. And then you'd get to sleep. So definitely more continuous racing um, at Eco Challenge. Yeah, and that seems, and that's kind of what I, I want to ask about is like, because you've done these longer races, 24 hour races, you know, 12 day race as, as well, but with some sleep. But, but I would imagine sleep deprivation has to be one of the bigger obstacles when it comes to something like this, or even in, an, in a 24 hour OCR event. Like, how, do you, how do you prepare for something like sleep deprivation? Like, are there signals that you're ready for, or like, how do you handle them when they, when they pop up? Uh, it's a really hard one to train for, actually, because, uh, I mean, it's my thought that, like, being sleep-deprived is such a, it's so hard on your body that it's not, like, really smart to, to do it to practice. Like, to be like, oh, like, in any other athletic thing, like, if you want to get good at something, you, you practice it in training, right? Right. If you want to be better at running a 5K really fast, you do you know, intervals that are, like, shorter at the same speed, or you do you run your 5K at, like, close to race speed, and then you go and you race it. Um, whereas, like, you can't really say, like, oh, I'm going to race for seven days straight, so to practice, I'm just going to, like, <laughs> train for 48 hours straight at home, and then, like, see how that goes, and then do it again. Like, because it's just so hard on your body and so hard on your mind and, like, all that, that I don't think it's smart or conducive, so... I've done a lot of 24 hour races before and you kind of get a good idea of like how you handle it and things like that. Um, but again, you don't really know until you're out there and racing. Um, so just having a positive, um, mindset. Um, I actually find that I tend to get sleepy earlier than other people, um, a little bit. And then when I do get to rest or get like over that, um, and get kind of my second wind, then I'm like really, really solid and uh, I can be like super, super useful while everyone else is kind of coming into their sleep deprivation um, factor. I did, uh, yeah, the only other like expedition adventure race I did was called Untamed New England and that was a three to four day uh, race in Maine, uh, in Northern Maine. Um, And I think we finished third or fourth in that one. Um, But like three... 36 hours into the race, I was, like, totally sleepy. Like, just got, like, like stopped functioning almost. Um, and everyone else on my team was, like, fine. And I was uh, – I remember I, I was on my bike, and I literally just fell asleep on my bike and fell into a ditch while riding along. Uh, and we came into, like, a little town, and I bought a Mountain Dew and a Red Bull, and I drank them both, like, right away. And then I was just like, I was just like 
perfect. I was like totally fine. I felt like amazing. And um, everyone else on my team started getting tired. So I literally took the packs of my entire team. I took all four packs and carried them up a mountain. Um, and then we came up up to the other side of the mountain and it was actually a uh, old like defunct ski hill. And um, I just, there was one of those kind of like litters that they would take people off the mountain with. Mm-hmm. And I put all the packs into that and carried all the packs back down the mountain <laughs> and to a checkpoint. And, um, and everyone else on the team was like, kind of like zombie-like. And I was just like making people food and getting filtering water and carrying packs. And so like, um, yeah, it's like, I guess sleep deprivation hits people differently um, or it can slightly. Uh, but like once you learn how it affects you, um, you can kind of, I guess, use that to your advantage. And yeah, should reach out to Red Bull see if you can get like a discount code, Atkins right. Atkins twenty for some for some twenty yeah. percent off on Red Bulls. But like, totally. like, so I mean, I guess that works out well when it's like staggered like that. And like, are the signals of sleep deprivation? Because I've never done a race like this. I've never done a twenty four hour race either, so I don't know what that would quite look like. Is it confusing, or is it obvious that it's sleep, or or do you try to fight it with like eating food or like? walking a little bit like or does it just feel like you need to take a nap like it, is it confusing yeah. out there yeah it's actually pretty pretty wild um so like a couple of days you can kind of just fake it and i'll actually before a, a race like this i'll stop having any coffee or any caffeine for about a week week and a half so that when i need it in a race it kind of like is more effective mm. um but then after about three days or so, uh, you get to a point where just no amount of like pre-workout or caffeine or anything does anything. Like you literally have to sleep. And apparently there's an enzyme in your brain that only gets um, like, you know, produced when you sleep. And like there's nothing that you can take or do or anything to to like short circuit that like no amount of motivation (laughs) or like desire can overcome this need for sleep it's like uh you know it's hardwired into us so at that point like you have to like just lie down and take a 30 minute nap and even like 20 30 minutes is enough to like reset that and uh and then keep going um so yeah yeah, because I could imagine there there has to be a balance when taking some sort of stimulant, and like you probably, like you said, you get a good boost at first. That's a great idea too, by like going off of it and yeah. then and then pulling it back in because you will build tolerance to caffeine just like anything else. So, mm-hmm. so totally a good a good tip on that. But um, and then were this was sleeping then also kind of planned out? I mean, I, I knew there were there was some designated spots where you had to kind of like stop and rest for what mm-hmm. ninety minutes. But yeah. was were there places where like all right we'll gotta put up camp put up camp here? I understand when you guys got lost. Was that kind of thought when you got lost? Like okay, let's like recover so we can think straight again, and then we'll get started. And could you was it noticeably different after you took like a twenty or thirty minute nap and later in that race? Oh man, it was like a switch. It was incredible. Hmm. We went from being like well, Rhea and I were like useless. Bob and Scott <laughs> were like not too bad, and we're like. And it's really hard when, like, 
some of your team is at that point where you need sleep and some of your team doesn't because the people who don't need it are kind of like well how bad do you really need it and people who really need it are like well really bad i'm like i can't function anymore and they're like well are you just being a wimp or <laughs> right like are you just kind of sleepy or are you about to like like pat, like fall over into a bush like how bad do you really need it and like kind of hard to say until you like actually stop take the sleep and then feel a thousand times better and you're like oh wow yeah it's really needed um hmm. but yeah to answer your question we we didn't really have a plan for the sleeping because there's so many factors that you can't foresee until you're on the course um like for instance we had they had that uh flash flood on the second day where uh, the, the water levels came up in the canyon and they had to shut the whole course down for, you know, a few hours. And we were on the Billy Billies at that point, And they said, like, okay, like, everybody come to shore. Um, we're going to go into this village and everybody can sleep because, like, the whole course is shut down. So we were like, oh, okay. So we did that and we got, like, I don't know, like four hours of sleep that night in some like random person's like hut in the middle of Fiji, which was like, we weren't expecting nice. that. And it was like super great sleep. We were like uh, on their front porch. So it was like kind of sheltered. And this lady like gave us her like husband's sweatpants to put on. So we had like dry clothes. Like it was like awesome. And um, but, like we weren't really planning on taking that sleep. And then also right before the, uh, the rafting section, like you, there was a, what's called a dark zone and they would only let you get on the raft between the hours of, I think it was like 6 a.m. and 4 p.m. so that you would raft during the, during daylight, right? They didn't want people whitewater rafting yeah. in the middle of the night. Makes sense. Um, Cause it was pretty serious, like water. Uh, so we got to the, like right before the rafting section at, I don't know, 3 a.m. And we were like, oh, well, we're going to have a little nap. And it was actually a terrible sleep because it was in the middle of, like, a cow field. There was, like, like feces all around us, and it was pouring rain. And we had just finished a mountain bike leg. Um, so we were freezing cold. Uh, it was just, like, it was just bad news. We were, like, literally lying in piles of, like, poo and mud trying to sleep. Um, so, like, not – but, like, the alternative was, like – stand around for like an hour you know so like oh well i guess an hour and a half of like sleep in mud and rain is better than no sleep so we took it and then um because like we couldn't really do anything else so yeah so like you kind of take the sleep as it comes and as you're able to um but other than that we just would have like little half hour naps at the at the transition areas and then the half hour nap at the um at the well, on that last field section before we um, when we were totally destroyed, and like I don't think we slept other than that. So yeah, yeah. So it sounds like ideally you wouldn't really have to do those at all, but like you could kind of manage with just the little breaks that you that you get. But like you said, that could be unforeseen. You could be in a field with a bunch of cow shit, and that's not going to mm-hmm. be awesome. So yeah, um, and and that's that that out. was something that yeah, right, and like. It, might play to your advantage it might not um and i guess that's one of the kind of other things i was curious about because the weather in this 
was something I wouldn't have expected to play such a huge role. I mean, obviously weather's going to play a huge role, but it really mattered on where you were in the course and how the weather was at that particular time in the event that you were doing. Like people were yeah. spread out. Like at certain times, they're like between even the top teams, you were a couple hours apart. I know it ended up being tighter, but like at certain points, there were things were kind of stretched out. Mm-hmm. And that seemed really interesting to me that there was a, the weather would, would help or hurt teams just based on where they were um was there anything else unforeseen like that that you that you weren't that kind of caught you off guard going into this that you like just can't like you can't cover everything right like as much as like tom has done everything like or i'm sorry uh, bob has done done everything like he can't explain everything to you so was there anything that did catch you like oh my god i had no idea like this was going to be something i had to worry about um yeah i mean i think the weather was the big one and like course or dark zones and things that you can't really you don't really know because you don't get your map until you get to each camp right so you don't like every you only get like the, the course in like one fifth at a time so it's oh, not even, like, i don't think i realized that yeah so the like the i think it was the morning of the race like half an hour before you start they give you the first map then you sit down and you plot your route and you say okay we're, we're starting here we have to go to this first checkpoint here on this island so obviously we're going to follow this river and then we get here, we go there, you know, and you get the whole route. And sometimes you're so pressed for time that like you will only map out the first half of that leg. And then at some point, like say three of us are paddling, Bob can like take a break and, and like plot our course for the for, like the second half of that leg. Um, and then you get to the camp, like the map will only take you up to the, to the camp. You see your, you get to your camp, you, whatever you have, like, uh, some cup and noodles and um, you do your foot thing and you have a 20 minute nap and they give Bob the next map. Um, and it's like a ri- it's like written instructions. It's like, uh, so it'll be like, um, get like trek, uh, you know, from this place to uh, grid coordinate one, six, two, nine, four, three or whatever. So like you literally go on the grid, you like go find the latitude, longitude, and then you like put that point. And then you just have to say, okay, we're here. We need to get to that point. What makes sense? We, oh, there's a road there. So we'll take that. And then, oh, there's no road. So maybe we'll push back over to the other road. And then, oh, there's a river. So maybe we like walk up that river and, oh, then we're at that checkpoint. And then from that checkpoint, you go to the next. So like, um, you're really kind of flying by the seat of your pants. If they had, if, if it was organized differently, like if we knew the whole route before we started the race, you could plan out things. You could plan out your gear differently, your nutrition differently. You could plan out your strategy. You could say, oh, if we push really, really hard, we'll get there before the dark zone on day three, and that will save us a lot of time, um, you know, things like that. But you don't, you don't know. You don't know if the rafting is going to be on day two or day seven. You don't know if, the, you know, if the big mountain bike leg is going to be on day one or day six. Like, it's like, it's all just kind of on at the moment figuring it out. Um, so there is a lot of elements of, uh, well, not a lot, but there are some elements of, you know, luck and of, um, yeah, I guess luck, uh, as to like getting to a certain place at a certain time that is either advantageous or not advantageous. And, uh, and you can't really let that get you because it's like, it's part of the sport. It's, uh, kind of like a spiritual, like, well, well, I did fear, and even though I'd made a hundred out of a hundred in practice, it didn't go in. 
and I could be really sad about it and like throw a hissy fit, or I could just do my burpees and keep going. Um, so it's kind of like the same thing. It sounds like in retro, like in retrospect, you explaining it that way to me now, it's like, oh, that's kind of fun that they like put that little wrinkle in. It's like, you got to figure it out on the fly. But I'm sure out when you're out there, it's probably like, I just wish I knew where I was going. That'd be much yeah, better. Totally. <laughs> like, it sounds yeah. cool now, but uh, then, yeah. uh, awesome. Um, so, I mean, this is not your full time deal, right? Like, this was something that it seems like a really cool opportunity for you, but you also have like championship races that you depend on in terms of like what you're, you're training for and what you're going to go after. Um, and I remember at the time, like thinking like, Oh my God, he's going to do this, this wild race, like in the middle of championship season. Um, so I'm sure like the recovery and everything like that, like that, that, everything seemed to play out really well for you, but like, did, did you change your training at all when like preparing for this stuff? Like knowing that there was going to be a lot of paddling or like, like whitewater rafting, like, or did you just kind of like, like rely on the volume that you've built up over the years and just like, just know the team was going to be there for you or how did you change your training for this? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of both. I did, I did definitely do more paddling than I, I mean, normally I just don't really paddle much other than for fun. Um, and I did, a, I did more than usual, but it became evident in the race that we didn't like Raya, myself and Bob probably didn't do enough paddling and enough specific paddle training because mm-hmm. the race was very paddle heavy and, um, most adventure races are like maybe 30% paddling, 40% trekking, 30% biking, something like that. And this one was like closer to 50% paddling. Um, so being a strong paddler was very, very advantageous. And like Team New Zealand was very strong at paddling and we were very, very strong at running and strong at biking, which was uh, not, we couldn't use as much to our advantage um, as we would hoped. Uh, so, I mean, that was, uh, a bit of a bummer and like hindsight's 2020, but it, I would have, I would have definitely done a lot more paddling and a lot more specific paddling. Cause like, lo and behold, uh, you have to train paddling just like you train running. And, um, I don't know how I didn't realize this, but <laughs> like, if you want to get better at, like, I was just like, Oh, I'm fit. So if I just paddle like, you know, twice a week and just go out and rip around on a lake, um, then I'll be great. But uh, Scott, who's kind of like our paddle expert of our team, was like, dude, you have to approach it just like you do running and biking. Like, you have to paddle. You have to go do paddling intervals. You have to paddle really hard for a minute and then, you know, rest for one minute and repeat that for an hour. And that's how you get stronger at paddling. You'll get stronger at paddling by just going out and, you know, noodling around on a lake with your buddies for an hour. And, you know, and I was like, of course, like, how did I not, how did I not realize this? Cause like literally everything else in life that I want to get better at, like that's the approach you do it and you do it hard and then you do intervals and you do, you know, long days and you do short days and you do races and you do this and you do that. And I was just, I was just like, Oh, well, I've got a strong upper body and a good base of fitness and I know how to paddle. So if I just do a bit more paddling, I'll be fine. But yeah, it was, um, that was, uh, a big mistake on our part for not um, taking the paddle uh, component a bit more seriously. Um. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like every runner who comes into OCR, it's like, yeah, I'm a good runner. I'll be yeah. fine. And, right. Uh, totally. Rob, you might be okay, but you're not going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, and in terms of, like, the paddling, because um, understand that if Eco Challenge happens again, you guys are going to uh, try to run it back. Like, 
and I know it's a different um, terrain this time, but like, do you feel like, like, have you been working on your paddling? Cause I mean, I, I guess it would just all work in terms of uh, aerobic volume and like trying to replace some of the other things or like, will you kind of do it in how you might like when leading up to a specific race where you just need to kind of get like race sharp, or is this something that you need to kind of kind of like build a ton of volume on? Um, because you can tell the New Zealand team, they probably grew up on the water. You know, they've probably been paddling right. for their entire lives. And that was like, that really was the whole race. And from a spectator view, not great because like, y- you don't know what's going on out there. They just like, they're in the water, now they're out of the water. Um, <laughs> and, like, you can just tell they were just much better at it. Um, so like, how do you think you would work that in now? Like, would you just put that part of your training? Or would you add stuff? Would you replace it? Yeah, well, if, if, if the next Eco Challenge in Patagonia happens in spring, it'll uh, preparing for it will be winter time here, which will make the paddling uh, even more difficult for us Canadians um, because, uh, as most Canadians can attest to, uh, the water becomes ice in the winter, <laughs> and it's a lot harder to paddle it when it's frozen solid. Um, so, but there's actually paddling urgs that you can get, and I've got a friend who has one and things like that. So I would probably uh, use one of those, do some dry land training. Um, there's actually something called ice canoeing uh, that they do in Quebec. Um, so you, you like have spiked shoes and you have these canoes and you wear uh, dry suits and you like, there's races and you kind of run on the ice and then throw your canoe into the water and then you jump in the canoe and paddle where there's open water and then you jump out onto the ice and carry it. So um, maybe they'll do one of those races. Um, that is some Canadian shit right there. <laughs> super Canadian. <laughs> it's like so amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, if, if it's happening in the spring, in the spring, then um, whenever it happens, even even if it's in the fall, which would be better for training for us, um, I'll make sure to really incorporate uh, a lot more paddling and probably do five or six hours of paddling per week, um, including mm. some structured training and structured intervals and. Um, things like that in order to get ready. So. Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure there, it would translate to obstacle course racing at that point, like as much as biking might, I guess. Actually, I'm not sure because it's not as eh, aerobic work will all kind of add up and help. Yeah. Um, hmm. And <laughs> when you were kind of coming into this thing, like how did, did your, was your mindset around competition the same as it would be going into some of the obstacle course race championship races or was there a common thread that you always have when coming into a race or was this something that was completely different um yeah i mean i'm a very competitive person and i like doing well at races so i guess i would carry that uh thread into um the eco challenge and you know um also very analytical so i try to like figure out what things i can do that will make it faster how i can race that'll make it faster, how you train that'll make it faster, and I definitely carry all those factors into uh, Eco Challenge. Um, but again, it was a race that I'd never never done a race. I'd never done such a long race. Um, I'd never raced in Fiji before. There's a lot of kind of unknowns, and I was racing in kind of an arena that I don't normally race in. So, I, you know, Ray and I were both kind of unknown. So I uh, definitely came into it with a lot of humility and um, – a lot of kind of just, I guess, acceptance for like, we're going to race and we're going to do our best and we're going to let the chips fall where they fall uh, and um, do everything that we can to try to make it a good result. And that's kind of just what we did. 
Nice. And like when you were getting into the, your mindset in terms of like training for, for like the races when you're back in like an obstacle course area, like when you do approach any of these races, are you, are you racing against the competition or are you kind of more intrinsically motivated when it comes to um, the mindset of things? Definitely more intrinsically motivated. I just, uh, I mean, my, my, <laughs> my, um, my goal in pretty much any race I ever do is just to have the best race that I am physically capable of having on that day. And, uh, and just let that happen. And whether that's winning or coming, you know, 30th, um, if I can finish the day and say, I got everything out of my body I could today, then, then I'm pretty happy. Right. And that seems like just a more sustainable approach for it because then there is always like a positive outcome regardless of where you, where you finish. Like you said, even if you have a medal or if you have a check or not, like you, you accomplished your goal by pushing yourself as hard as possible. And is that something you've worked on? Is that some, or is that just something a way you've always been or like, how have you come to that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's just the way I've kind of always approached racing. Uh, yeah, it seems to work out for me. Nice. Yeah. That, that makes it easier because like, like I said, if you're chasing a result, it, it seems like a much more difficult um, journey, a lot more setbacks than if you're just trying to get out there and hit, hit it as hard as you can. Um, so do you, do you foresee yourself like going into these adventure races? Maybe like when you are like late later in life, like, is it something that you can find yourself working into? Yeah, maybe. Um, I'd love to. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. I hope that I really think that maybe and hope that maybe um, the reintroduction of this race, Eco Challenge, will spark kind of another global movement in the adventure racing community. Because um, the first time they brought Eco Challenge out, that's kind of what happened. It was kind of the birth of the sport, and uh, there was this massive movement of adventure racing, and um, in the last you know, in the last 10 years, it's kind of died off a bit in terms of popularity, but um, I think they did a really good job producing the show, and, uh, like, I'm amazed at how much traction the show has gotten and is getting um, worldwide, and just so many people messaging me and reaching out to me and just stoked about the race. Um, so, yeah, who knows? If it if it becomes really huge, then definitely see myself doing more of them. Yeah, I, I was thinking that too. Like, if this is going to bring on a new level of competition for it, but I mean, the experience is just so valuable that it, I feel like that the this might spark high level racers in the adventure arena in like ten years from now, just because people are going to go out and get their butts kicked for the next nine of them before they actually know what what they're doing, um, or or maybe that like people go like like Bob's round, just recruit some of the best athletes who are mentally tough and can get out there and hang. And then that's, that's the way that things kind of, kind of progress. Um, well, cool, man. So yeah, I'll let you go and I'll keep you all day. I appreciate you taking the time, but, uh, what are, um, so, I mean, this year's all wacky now, right? Like, so what, what have you been up to? Like what kind of goals do you have for the rest of the year? Oh man, I wish I could tell you that. Um, what have I been up to? Not a whole lot recently. I did, a. Uh... It was like an eight-day, seven or eight-day bikepacking trip in northern Quebec uh, about a week ago. That was pretty awesome. Um, ate a bunch of fish 
and did a bunch of riding. <laughs> uh, I guess I did the Everest world record thing, um, you know, earlier in the summer. That was really fun. Um, but it's, it's honestly just been like this strange limbo year of uh, not knowing what's happening. Like, I basically go from, <laughs> it was like, oh, Utah's happening. Sweet, sweet. Let's get super fit. Oh, okay. No, I'm really ready for Utah. Utah's canceled. Okay, great. Um, oh, now West Virginia's happening. Okay, let's get super. I was like, just, you know, crashing it. I'm like, if there was a Spartan race right now, there's no one that could be. I was like, so, you know, such good shape. And then they're like, nope, that's canceled. And I was like, dang it. And then it was like, so it's been just like that. I've been, I've been like thinking, oh, maybe I'm going to go run this, run this trail or do this FKT or do whatever. And then I start training for it. And then, oh, lo and behold, I can't get into the U.S. to go do it. And, uh, so it's, it's been like a very frustrating year from that perspective because I have all these things that I want to do and could do and um, things like that. But uh, the uh, America seems to have um, really done a great job at keeping, uh, you know, a high amount of cases. Um, and, yeah, I agree. And, been, yeah. It's been great. Thank you. Just crushing it. Number one in the world. Um, so good job there, America. And um, and likewise, I can't get in. Um, <laughs> and if I do get in, it's a 14-day uh, mandatory quarantine when I come back home, um, uh. which really sucks. Uh, 14 days, can't leave the house, can't do literally anything. Um, so whenever I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just go to the U.S. and run this trail, do this FAT. I'm kind of like, well, that'd be fun, but it would also kind of, the amount of fun would be offset by sitting at home and twiddling my thumbs for two weeks uh, afterwards. So um, <laughs> maybe I don't go do it. So, yeah, it's been uh, it's just been a wild, wild year, I think, for, for myself and for Lindsay and for a lot of athletes, really. Um, but doing what we can do and yeah 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 i can imagine (laughs) yeah i I feel for you guys especially depending so much of your income on on something like racing like when there's no real way to replace that if there's no races going on i don't know if the government's hooking you up probably not but um did you hear anything about the uh the thing DeSena was talking about the is that real the thing at vermont it sounds like it's real I think it's gonna happen. Nice. Yeah. Would you, would that be something you come over for? You think? Yeah. That would be worth the quarantine. Go back. Yeah. Maybe you can get it. Maybe you can come, win some money there, buy one of like a, an indoor paddle erg, and then yeah. you're good. Thank Take you it for your pa- just crush it. Yeah. Fourteen days of just crushing that. <laughs> I'll just be inside, just fake paddling for fourteen days. <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. Fourteen days yeah. straight, sleep yeah. drive through it. Yeah. Um. Well, cool, man. Yeah, well, um, so, yeah, let's go. Where can people find you if they want to follow along some of the things you got going on? Uh, I mean, the best place is probably Instagram at Ryan Atkins Diet, and i um, pretty active there. And, uh, yeah, feel free to reach out to me, send me a message, do whatever. And, um, yeah, hope everybody has a good week. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to stop recording. It's going to post back to that initial screen. We'll stay on there for a little bit. But again, I do appreciate you coming on. Congrats on second place. I don't even think we did even spoil it. Waited till just now to say you got second overall, which oh, yeah. is cool. And then, True. um, so congrats on that, even though it was Thank a year you. later. 
Was it hard to keep it under wraps? Was it like, were people bugging you about it? Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> um, I think I spilled the beans to a few people, but I would say like, you can't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah. they told us like, they like they were like, oh, you can tell it to, you can say how you did to friends and family, but like, that's it. And so I kind of took that as like, with a bit of artistic um, impression, you know, how how close of a friend is that? Um, <laughs> but I try, like I try to not tell, you know, many people. And that's like, uh, I guess, does it just take that long to make a TV show? I'm not on TV. I don't know. Does it just take a year to get things up and ready? Or is it like... Who knows? Like, (laughs) I think, I don't know what happened. Like, because they were like, I was like, maybe they're just not even going to bother making a show. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Because it was like, originally they were like, yeah, probably February. And it was like, cool. And then it was like, yeah, maybe July. And I was like, okay. And then they're like, <laughs> it just kept huh. like getting pushed back. I think that with, there's just maybe so many things happening in the world that they wanted to like make sure the edit like aligned with like the current social arena. Um, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it just takes a long time to edit through that much footage. Like they were, they, oh. dude, they had a two to one ratio of uh, employees at that rate to um, competitors. So they had about 350 com- uh, competitors and about 700 employees. Oh my That's God. Like filming and race logistics and helicopter pilots and, you know, crazy, Who? crazy production. Is Amazon funding this? Because it's not coming from, even if they charge like a million dollars per team, like it's no, not no, yeah. going to come from that. Like, where's this money? Yeah, it was Amazon. It was all Amazon. Yeah, because that, that like the production that they like the that the race looked like with like that headquarters yeah, and the helicopters like that was something else. I was like, is this a TV set or is this really like what it's yeah. like there with all the GPS coordinates and people tracking everybody at all times? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, they just yeah. went to town with the uh, this budget. Yeah, maybe it was they maybe they were just really excited about it and wanted to wait until kind of COVID cooled off, because if it was going to come out in February, Maybe that was like just not great for people's right. Like viewing, probably everything yeah. dropped off then. As people, everybody freaked yeah. out for a while. Yeah. So maybe just yeah. got to the point. It's like, all right, we need to share this thing, or the next eco challenge is going to happen, and we're, we're going to be sitting on it. Totally. Um, yeah, I even thought I was like, well, if they haven't like posted it by now, they're probably not going to have another eco challenge. And then they're like, oh, we're taking applications. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, and that's the. That's uh, and that's something that while well, watching it, Bear Grylls is a, is a hugger, and like in the COVID world, I was like, whoa, this dude is way too close to these people. <laughs> um, that that was something else I was wondering about because be when Bear Grylls would like run up on people with the cameras, like it was almost like he's like, ah, oh, Bear Grylls, like, aren't you excited to see me? And no one's excited, but and he's like, <laughs> three days into the race, everyone's like, ah, uh, cool man, like, yeah, yeah, I need to do my foot thing. Please leave me alone. Do you have any food? Oh, yeah. No, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was it nice not to have like the cameras in your face? Cause I know the OCR community was kind of bombed. Like, you know, we did tune in and I liked, I, I honestly, I thought because they weren't showing you guys, I was like, Oh, okay. Like this is, just, they're just in and over there in over their heads. Like this is just a whole different world. Right. Um, but like, yeah, they're, they can only shoot so much and I'm sure they cast the, the teams that they wanted to. So like, if you didn't know you were going to be on the, sh- like, I'm sure those other teams knew they were going to be uh, featured heavily. Um, but was it kind of nice not to have like a camera there all the time? 
Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> less less bear grills, less less hugs from bear grills. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> um well, cool, man. Yeah, again, congrats. Second place overall. We'll look forward to seeing you in uh, the next one. That might be the next race that you run. It's just yeah, the, yeah. the eco challenge there. Totally. Um, well, cool, man. I'll link to everything in uh, the show notes for your Insta, and that'll be that. So that's just us, and we're signing off. Cool. Thanks, Talk man. Take care. All right. See you. Later. Bye.